0: Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man who can be best described like the opening sequence in the Lion King movie, except it's him just lifting a beer after work.
1: Oh yeah, if I could make that noise, I'd do it. Yeah. On, whatever the hell it is. Yeah. <laughs> we should have that and, uh, the sound effect, damn it. I
0: just wish I could go around every day saying, a Matata. You can? Yeah, well, yeah, I guess you can, but... <laughs> what the hell yeah your wish is granted yeah kuna matata what you doing man That's good. <laughs> i'm doing good i just can't get that out of my head now
1: you're gonna be doing that the whole show yeah right? i'm gonna be doing a
0: kuna matata <laughs> just break on in yeah okay uh, everyone be safe be careful <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs>
1: and from your friend's car <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> what's going on with you dude oh same old same old you know how it is yeah I know, it, I know exactly how it is lovely lovely same old same old happy to be here i am just wonderful to be here i'm
1: telling you man yep if we get this damn tiktok thing figured out we'll be all right well we?
0: yeah because <laughs> uh people can't find us on there i don't know why everything's active everything's going i know if, if y'all
1: smarter than us let us know
0: yeah if y'all know let us know
1: <laughs> it's there i promise there ain't, there ain't much but it's there we're working on it we Which are, we're trying
0: we're definitely working on it
1: we like old people trying to work a vcr
0: <laughs> back
1: in the day yeah well hell y'all probably don't even know what a vcr is
0: no <laughs> <laughs> no, probably don't. It's funny. I remember getting the first VCR and didn't know how to work it.
1: Yeah, I met a guy the other day, and we was talking about um, the show and stuff, and he was asking me about some stuff we did. And I was like, yeah, we just recently did uh, Bob Crane. I said, you know, from uh, Hogan's Heroes. And he just looked at me. I'm like, you know, the show Hogan's Heroes? He goes, never heard of it. I was <laughs> like, oh, no.
0: Man, that was one of the
1: best shows ever. Yeah, it's like, man. That's very, the, very good that's show. That's the, I'm really old feeling. Yeah. They just look at you like, I ain't got a clue. I don't, I don't know.
0: <laughs> you got anybody you want to mention or anything you want to talk about before we get started dude eh, we got a little bit not really
1: but uh, i would like to give a shout out to wings down at shelby it's a little restaurant we got over here a little wing place but uh we, was, we were in there and chit chatting the other day and uh, i took a sticker and put it behind the bar right in the middle of the drink special sign just so everybody see it
0: Whoa.
1: i thought that was pretty damn cool yeah so appreciate you guys and if you're in town go check them out and have a drink and a wing
0: that's wings etc chicken wing what does etc mean uh etc and so forth yeah okay and so (laughs) on yeah wings etc and Shelby yeah yeah go check them out pretty cool and if anybody wants to go to our store page and get you a t-shirt get you some kind of mug get you something cool to wear get you a hoodie by all means do it yeah man yeah still got time while it's still winter to get you a hoodie
1: yes sir they're nice too
0: they are very nice and very warm.
1: Yes, and they will get a lot of a lot of uh, attention. People yeah, people love them. People will look at you. I wear mine all the time.
0: Yep, yeah, Dale does really does. <laughs> and if you want to go to Apple Podcast and rate and review us, please do.
1: That's right, because y'all get mine because yeah. I have nobody to shout
0: at. Yeah, the, we mentioned them all last week, so we don't have anybody this week.
1: We we'll have to break it down and do one at a time, I guess. Yeah,
0: <laughs> make it sound better. Yeah. Also, check us out on our social medias: our Facebook, our Instagram. They'll post stuff on Twitter every once in a while.
1: Yeah, every now and again. Yeah, check out our YouTube page. Go there and subscribe. Hit the little bell dingy. Then we're gonna start doing some stuff, some some little cool video vignettes. Yes, vignettes or whatever you call the short ones. Yeah, shorts. Yeah, it'll yep. be fun. Yep, it Get will. Some stuff going in there, and uh, I think we got a lot of fun stuff coming up. I think we do. And I do. Uh, the other day I ran across a couple cups. We were cleaning up at the house, doing some work around there, and one was a uh, like a one. Uh, a mock-up and then another one was a pretty cool one so i got two and we're gonna give them away but we just got to figure out a cool way to do it yeah yeah so some of you guys gonna get a free cup hey yeah pretty, yeah. pretty cool stuff i'll uh, take photos and post them up and then we'll figure out what we're gonna do with them
0: yeah you're gonna to have to do something really good to get a cup yes it would mm-hmm. be cool yeah heck yeah mm-hmm. so what we got going on today we are talking about a uh a guy a guy yeah he is a on the fbi's 15 most wanted
1: list. He's the he's the one step ahead guy, right? Yeah, he's he is. He's always one step ahead. Yeah, he's
0: always one step ahead. We're going to talk about him.
1: He's definitely the hide and seek world champion.
0: Yeah, he is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's a pretty good story, man.
0: And uh, when we started looking at this, I didn't really know much about him. I love these stories that I don't know much about and get into. And
1: right, and it's a little bit something different than what we usually do, but yeah it's a good story.
0: Very good story. Yeah. But today we're talking about a guy named Larry Porter Chisholm. Porter, like Wagner. Yeah, but... He goes by Larry. Okay. Larry Chisholm. Well, he goes by a whole lot. Yeah. We're going to talk about that, too. (laughs) Yeah. But now, Larry Porter Chisholm, he was born on December 19th of 1948 in Forest City, Arkansas. Ooh, we got a Forest City. We do, right here in North Carolina. Yeah. That's rude. But this uh, Forest City in Arkansas has two R's in it. Oh,
1: they're fancy in there. Yeah. Yeah. uh, We only got one R.
0: It's very regal. (laughs) I think one of the R's is silent, but I'm not sure. (laughs) But this is Forest City, Arkansas, and it's about 45 miles southwest of Memphis, Tennessee. Oh. And at the time of our story, Forest City had a population of around 10,000 people, which was a 10, pretty, 10, 000, yeah. pretty small town. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I agree. But now Larry, he grew up in Forest City, and his parents were Millard and Francis Chisholm. Mm-hmm. And he also had uh, two brothers, John and Harry. But now, Larry, he was also known as being kind of nerdy and just studied a lot. Right. And he would get high grades in school. And following his graduation, he began to attend Memphis State University. Mm-hmm. And he was just, just a skinny guy, just, just an average guy. Yep. And he made several acquaintances around college, and he had a lot of good friends. Yes. Including another young man by the name of William Henson. Right who was a fellow student there at uh, MSU. Yeah, MSU. Yeah. And the two became fast friends and even lived together for a little while. Right. Now, at this point in time, Larry also fell in love for the first time. And the woman's name was Harriet. And together, her and Larry would have two kids together. Right,
1: but two daughters. Two girls,
0: and who were born in 1969 and 1970, respectively. Yeah. But the daughters were not really close with their father like they were with their mom, Harriet.
1: Well, they didn't really have a chance. Mm -mm. I mean, she divorced Larry, you know, right off, pretty quick. Yeah. And just
0: took off. And relocated them out of state. Yeah, so they didn't really have a chance to know him. Yeah. Now, as the end of the 1960s, he was drafted into the U.S. Army.
1: Right. It was right after he got divorced.
0: Yes. And he would serve in the U.S. Army for the next two years, spending time in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And he was honorably discharged in 1972. Now, following his discharge, he returned to Memphis and enrolled once again at Memphis State University. Yeah, so you know he's
1: a pretty smart guy.
0: Yeah, I think, I think he is. Yeah. He doesn't mention it anywhere in our research, but I I would assume, after reading about him, he had a pretty high IQ. Yeah,
1: I would think so, too.
0: Yeah. And it was described... Uh, Larry as being smart and charismatic, and just uh, seemed to be moving on in his life. Yeah, everything
1: going good. Yep. I mean, he got back from Vietnam, so that's a plus right there.
0: Yep. Now at this point, Larry was uh, well on his way to earning his law degree at Memphis State University, but this would soon come to an end.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Larry was <laughs> just—he was just weeks away from graduation in 1974, so I would say he was pretty much done. With getting his law degree. Oh,
1: yeah. Right there.
0: Yeah. This is when he was arrested Mm. and charged with crimes. A bunch of crimes. Yeah. Uh, Armed robbery. And he was also alleged to have uh, possessed and sold illegal narcotics.
1: Yeah. Mostly heroin, I think. Yeah. He had that. And I think he had mass quantities, you know, well. Had uh, sold mass quantities over a period of time
0: anyway. Yep. And it turns out that there was much more to Larry than met the eye at this time. He's a smart guy, man. Yeah. He was operating a drug enterprise.
1: Yeah, he had figured out, I think uh, his deal was he had figured out how to smuggle uh, heroin across the U.S.-Mexico border. Yeah. And then he had hired a bunch of teenagers to help him out because, you know, this is in the 70s, so these teenagers going back and forth wasn't really getting anybody's attention. Mm -hmm. So he figured out a way to get it over here and sell it and was making a lot of money.
0: And Larry was the ringleader of all this. Yes. Yeah.
1: Until he got caught.
0: Yep. (laughs) And later that year, Larry was caught, like Dale said, and was sentenced to forty years in prison mm-hmm. for creating mm. this little drug ring. Mm-hmm. That's, sure. that's a big, big sentence for that. Yeah, that's a slap on the wrist. You well, got that right. <laughs> You'd think it, uh, that our story would end right here, and Larry would be in prison, everything would be fine, and yeah. you know, he'd be serving the sentence. But no, it's it's uh this keeps going.
1: Yeah, we're just getting started.
0: Yeah. Now Larry was in prison, and over the next few years. He sort of blended into the background there in prison. He just sort of...
1: Just laying low, man.
0: Yeah. Being friendly with the guards, doing mm-hmm. everything he said. He even worked on the prison newspaper. Right. And just uh, being an all-around nice
1: guy. Just being cool and fitting in. Yep. Everything on the lowdown. I think he had a little stuff going on because he's always thinking.
0: Yep. And prison staff believed that Larry's kind nature was just a part of a ploy to, To his early release. Yeah. 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 Which I get it. I mean, I would, I would be too, if I guess. Oh, know. God, yeah. Yeah. But uh, they seem like Larry was just kind of just trying to make the best of a bad situation. Correct. Yeah. But like Dale said, Larry had some other plans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, on September the 13th of 1978, this was a Wednesday.
1: Now, this is roughly four years into his, uh, into his
0: sentence. So he'd been in prison for...
1: Roughly four years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Larry was one of more than 30 inmates that were... Sort of getting a little reprieve from their, I guess, prison life.
1: Yeah. You know, this comes with being good, laying low, and doing all the
0: right things. Yeah. They were allowed to have a supervised trip to a nearby bowling alley. Which
1: is really weird. Yeah. But I, I get it.
0: Yep. And the bowling alley, the name of the bowling alley was Bowl Arena, I guess, Bowling Alley. The Bowl Arena. Yeah. And, <laughs> that and, gets me and, <laughs> every yeah. time. Bowl Arena. And it was in Dixon, Tennessee. And there they would be, you know, closely monitored by armed guards and I guess they would get to bowl and just hang out. Right. I, mean, I guess get a little bit of freedom. Yeah. But this little outing seemed to be going well for the most part. Yeah. But now there was at some point Larry uh started heading off to the men's room and he had another inmate followed him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they seemed to be uh holding some suspicious packages. Right. Which uh, sort well, got some attention from the correctional office. Yeah, they just will not know what they were doing. There's something a little weird going on here. Yeah, but this was the beginning of Larry's long-awaited plot. Yep. And it seemed like he had planned this out for a, quite a long time, probably months. At yeah, fast. I would say months, yeah. Because uh, earlier that day, William Henson, this is the guy we talked about, this is his buddy from college, mm-hmm. had made a trip of his own to the bowl arena. And this is where William had planted some firearms near the men's bathroom.
1: Yeah, a pair of sold off shotguns, actually.
0: Yeah. yeah, and he had uh, visited Larry in prison several times during his incarceration and helped him come up with this plan. Mm-hmm. And eventually hiding the guns in a place that only Larry would, I guess, think of to search. Right.
1: Well, I figure it's more of a they knew where it was going to be, but nobody else would would kind of look there. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming both of them kind of knew the place for, for some reason.
0: Yeah. Now, hours later, Larry and a fellow inmate had grabbed hold of the weapons and were hoping to begin what they would be their escape.
1: Yeah, hours later after he the other guy hit him. Yeah. Yeah, not hours later after he went to the bathroom.
0: And they were arming themselves in the men's bathroom. Yes. Now, the correctional officer who sort of noticed them having this little bizarre behavior began following Larry and the other inmate into the bathroom. And as the guard entered the bathroom... Larry surprised the guard by leveling a shotgun in his head.
1: Yeah, that'd,
0: that'd shock you all right. Yeah, that would change the whole <laughs> outlook of everything. That'd make you pee in your pants. Yeah, there's <laughs>
1: right room for it, I guess. Especially when you ain't thinking about it and you open the door and there's a gun, shotgun in your face.
0: Yeah, but there was uh, no round in the chamber. Right, so I'm assuming these were pump
1: shotguns. Or Probably. Or, or automatics that hadn't been ranked. Yeah. Or, or something, because otherwise, why would there not be a round? So it definitely wasn't a, like a double barrel or something. Yeah, yeah.
0: and the guard was able to back up, and he slammed the bathroom door against Larry, and he fell into the main area of the bowling alley.
1: Yeah, pulled his gun up, got ready for what was, what was coming next.
0: Yeah, there's going to be some violence. <laughs>
1: Definitely.
0: Now, armed with shotguns, Larry and uh, his accomplice began this shootout mm-hmm. with the correction officers who struggled to gain control of this situation that was going on, and one of the correction officers would be shot by Larry.
1: Yeah, once in the chest. Yeah. But, you know, he was wearing a bulletproof vest, so it didn't kill him. And he said another time in the arm. Yeah. And I was kind of wondering if it was the same shot, you know, because if it's a shotgun, it could have been the same shot. But said he took two shots, so
0: maybe not. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm just overthinking, I guess.
0: And one of the shots that was fired back at Larry hit his hand and almost blew his thumb off what yeah. had been reported.
1: Right, because they were shooting handguns, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But they said this gunfight lasted just about 30 seconds. Which, I mean, 30 seconds with a gunfight, is going to seem like a lifetime. That's a long time. Yeah. yeah.
1: Standing there in the bowl arena, shooting at each other.
0: But there have been numerous shots that have been fired, and even some even into the ceiling of the bowling alley. Yeah, I think most of them made it into the ceiling for some reason. I, I don't know why. Yeah. But the correctional officer that Larry had initially struggled with lay bleeding on the floor of the bowling alley. But he would later find himself in critical condition. Yeah. All right. Now, Larry, he began to make his escape from the bowling alley. With the help of three inmates, uh, one of them was named Ronald Lyons, and he was serving 50 years for armed robbery. Correct. As well as George Bonds and Floyd Brewer, right. who, who were each serving uh, rape sentences.
1: Yeah, real long, like decades-long long sentences, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And they gathered the weapons from the four uh, correctional officers who were, I guess, laying there on the floor hurt.
1: Either that or give up.
0: Yeah. And the four— escaping inmates, then took a female employee from the Bowling Alley as
1: hostage. Right. They took the, other, the thirty-eight caliber pistols off from the, the uh, officers.
0: Yeah. Definitely. And they let her outside at gunpoint. Right. Now, it was during this time, it became clear to those in the Bowling Alley that Larry had been the ringleader of this entire escape. He mm. was, I mean, he was orchestrating everything. Right. And the other three inmates, he just uh, was barking orders at them.
1: Yeah, and they were just doing whatever he said. Yeah. So you definitely know he was the one to come up with the plan to get them all out of there. So they were, they were all, all on board to get out of there.
0: And it was later, one of the correction officers would recall on America's Most Wanted. This is what he said: It was a setup from the beginning, a planned out deal from the beginning. There was no back talk. He did not have to ask them a second time. Right.
1: So they were just wanting to go, and he knew that was. They knew that he was their only way out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the four inmates, they made their way outside with their female hostage.
1: A part-time bowl arena playing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and there, they carjacked a vehicle belonging to another employee of the bowling alley and begin speeding towards the nearby Dixon Municipal Airport. Right. And this is where the next step in Larry's plan took place. Right.
1: Tell me, this dude's got it all figured out. He's like the Riddler or something.
0: Yeah, he's pretty dang smart. Yeah. And this is where Larry and the other three inmates—they let their female hostage go. Yes,
1: so far they're not killing anybody, and they're definitely not doing anything. And, you know, when when you do a female hostage gets taken, usually it's bad stuff happens with them. But no, not here.
0: They just want to get gone. They just want to escape.
1: Get out of here, yeah.
0: Yep. And this is where they set their sights on the owner of the airport, who was a pilot himself. Right. And the owner of the airport—he uh, was there, and his young son was with him. And he was forced to quickly prepare a four-seat Cessna.
1: Yeah, it was his airplane. Yeah.
0: Right. And the escaping inmates demanded the man fly them out of Tennessee into neighboring Arkansas, taking both him and his son as hostage. hmm Now, it was just within minutes the four inmates were in the air along with the pilot and his son. But this was a four-seat plane. Oh, crammed in there. Yeah. Which was, I guess, beyond capacity. I
1: would say so, yeah.
0: And it was not equipped. For this t- kind of flight, I guess.
1: Right. Plus, he didn't give him any time to make sure, go through all the safety uh, checks and make sure, you know, full of fuel and all kind of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like gun to the head. Let's go.
0: Let's go. But uh, shortly after crossing over into Arkansas, the Cessna, it began some experience, some mechanical issues. And yeah. it was forced to make an emergency landing on a dirt road right. in Mariana, Arkansas, which was just about 20 or so miles from Forest City.
1: So he's right back home.
0: Now, there was a farmer that was there, and he witnessed that plane landing on his property. And he rushed out there in his black truck to, I guess, to see what was going on. To
1: yeah, to see if he could help.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And he was greeted by the four armed inmates. It's like Con Air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Who immediately took him captive and stole his truck.
1: Right. But they
0: would eventually let him go. Yeah,
1: all of them, even the pilot and the son. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But the inmates would use his truck to get their escape. Yes. And eventually, they split up into pairs. Right. And Larry fled with Ronald Lyons. And like we said, he was a man that was serving a 50-year sentence for armed robbery.
1: Yeah, he wasn't hanging out with the rapists.
0: No. And together, they would take an elderly couple hostage, whom they
1: eventually released. Right. Unharmed. Yeah. So, again, let them go back into Kentucky.
0: And that was when the two split up, and Larry found himself on his own. Right. Now, Larry made his escape on foot from there, more than 200 miles away from the Bowling Alley. Police theorized that he might have been trying to flee back to the area of his hometown, where I guess to get back in with his loved ones and people who would die. I Somebody guess, would help him out. Yeah, harbor yeah, him. Right. Yeah. Now, the two inmates that escaped with Larry, uh, George Bonds and Floyd Brewer, these were the rapists. Yeah. They had been captured just a day or so after their escape.
1: Yeah, they didn't, <laughs> they didn't get out long.
0: Mm-mm. And they had split up from Larry and were only able just to last a single day on their own.
1: So you can tell you who was the, who had the brains of this operation. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And after being recaptured, they told the police that Larry was more than likely headed towards Texas. Right.
1: So, wow. you know, after they got this information, they set up a bunch of roadblocks and searches and stuff. But they were trying to narrow down and figure out where Larry was, but they didn't, they didn't do no good.
0: Mm-mm. And it was that weekend, there was a man identified Larry as the man that asked him for a ride earlier. Mm -hmm. And a woman reported seeing a a similar man near her home in Calico Rock, Arkansas. Now, aided by FBI agents, regional and state police began closing in around Larry, who became, I guess, desperate to find him. Yeah, getting desperate. And he carjacked and kidnapped a local man, taking him as hostage and using his truck in an attempt to get away. Right. Uh, but the truck was quickly located by police who I guess converged on this location.
1: Yeah, it turned into a high speed chase through a pretty rural area of Arkansas. Yeah. And from what we checked out, it was pretty, uh, really curvy roads and stuff too. So it's not like he was getting up a lot of speed to get away. You know, no straightaways where he can get out of there. Just backcountry roads. Yeah.
0: yeah. And it was during this chase, police began firing rounds into the vehicle of Larry's. And there was one bullet actually grazed his head. God almighty. But nobody was hurt in the process. The truck Larry was driving was forced off the road after crashing into, I guess, a roadblock It was set up by the
1: police. Yeah, so I guess the shots actually they, they did what they were meant to do. Yep. They stopped him. Yeah. <laughs> he was probably scared him to death. That wouldn't come back.
0: Yeah, they stopped him. Yeah. And Larry had finally been detained and arrested. That's right. Four days after orchestrating an escape from the bowl arena.
1: So, all that for four days.
0: Yeah. And his wounds were treated at the scene, and he was booked into the Lenoke County Jail, where he was officially charged with kidnapping, theft, and a bunch of other crimes he committed in the process. Yeah,
1: whatever they could think of. Yeah, yeah. of this
0: escape. Right. Yeah. They were, they were pretty much throwing the book at him.
1: Yeah, we got you back now, so we're just going to add a whole bunch of more stuff to you. Yep.
0: Yeah. Now, that September, Larry was indicted by a federal grand jury in the Middle District of Tennessee. Mm-hmm and he was indicted on five counts related to his escape and plane hijacking, which was likely to result in a lot more time added to his apprentices. Yeah, that yep. ain't good. No, that ain't. So, do you think this is where our story would end? Yep, But yeah, but mm, wrong. wrong. No, but wrong it keeps going. Now, two months later, in November of 78, Larry and two of his accomplices pled guilty to the charges filed against them. And there they were given an additional 30 years in prison. Meaning that Larry Chisholm, who had served roughly just four years of his original 40-year sentence, Mm -hmm. was looking at spending pretty much the rest of his life in either state or federal prison.
1: What, like 65 years? Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, If that was the case, he probably wasn't getting out. No. Now, while he was awaiting his sentence for the escaped attempt, Larry, who was 29 at the time and was recovering from his wounds, and his head and hands were bound up, this was just within days, he was back to his old self. Yeah. And once again, he began to, I guess, sort of fit into his surroundings.
1: That's what he does.
0: Yeah. Instead of... uh, it being a prison, it was the Lenoke County Jail right, where they were holding him. Oh, yeah. So you know he's salivating over this. And this is where he was waiting for further charges related to his escape attempt, which was uh, probably going to put him in another state-run institution. Or a maximum
1: facility prison, yeah.
0: Yeah. On December the 22nd of 1978, just three days after his 30th birthday, Larry began acting out his second escape attempt
1: that's right we got to get out of here yeah probably thinking he needs to get out of there before they put him in that the maximum you know security building if he's he's right here in this county jail he's probably going to get out of here
0: here in this andy griffith jail
1: yeah that's probably what he's thinking i need to get if i'm going i got to go now Yeah. yeah
0: now just like the first attempt he conspired with three other inmates including two from the previous attempt George Bonds and Floyd Brewer. Yeah. I mean, how would they let him hook up with them again?
1: Oh, right. That's what I was thinking. It's kind of odd that they put them all in the same place.
0: Yeah. Y'all down there, let's let's get out of here. Yeah. Okay. we going. going.
1: They're
0: the, probably going, yo, Larry, what you got for us? Yeah. Larry, right, can you get us out of here? That's right. But the four men were able to get their hands on a wrench, which was used to open up an air conditioning vent, and then they crawled through this vent to a nearby room which housed a bunch of weapons and keys for the jailhouse. Man, how about this? (laughs) Just, yeah. Look at here.
1: (laughs) This is the best possible outcome ever. Look, there's keys and guns.
0: (laughs) Now armed with keys to open and uh, close doors, the four men were able to overpower a guard from a nearby room, stealing his car keys and sidearm. Yep. And then uh, locking him in a cell. Right. They then made a good on their escape using the guard's 1977 Ford Thunderbird. Yeah, hey, My
1: mama had a 77 Thunderbird. Yeah. The yeah, transmission went out and had to get a 79, but uh, it was nice.
0: Well, she made a step up in didn't she? <laughs> yeah. But they were able to speed away from the jail as no one noticed their escape for several hours.
1: Yeah, with this old guy knocked out and <laughs> put in a cell. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: And by the end of the year, three out of the four inmates had been recaptured. But Larry had yet to be found.
1: Right. So by the end of the year, on the twenty-second, is that that's when they went, right? So they they weren't in there. They were. Uh, they weren't. They weren't escaped very long.
0: No. Now Larry's prison break accomplices were eventually tracked down, and he was somehow able to avoid his capture.
1: I think he does better when he's by himself. I think he does too. Yeah. He ain't have to worry he's about. He's just being slowed down. It. Yeah.
0: And police believe that he had fled to the area of Little Rock, Arkansas, where he was able to, I guess, blend in. To society under an assumed name.
1: Yeah, kind of like he does in jail, just kind of fit in because he's just, you know, just a regular-looking guy, isn't it?
0: Now, investigators would eventually learn that Larry Chisholm had adopted a bunch of fake names. Yes. Which had likely been established by some of his friends of his previous escape.
1: Yeah, yeah, hmm Even uh, people involved back in his drug operation, you know. Yeah. They probably helped him get some uh, fake ID cards as well as giving him some stuff to live on for for a few weeks. No, Nobody knows this for sure, but... He, it looks like he had some help from somewhere.
0: And some of the fake names that he operated under included the uh, names of uh, Daniel Barry, George Rupert, Gary Bioni, as well as both George and Earl McClain. Hmm. And with these names, Larry was able to move around the country, you know, unimpeded.
1: Right. And yeah. we're talking about the 70s here, so it's definitely not like now.
0: But uh, the trail would go cold on Larry for several months after mm-hmm. his second escape.
1: So he did a lot better this time yeah. before staying out of jail.
0: And investigators soon theorized that Larry could have helped finance his early travels by single-handedly robbing a bank. Mm. This was the first national bank in Cincinnati, Ohio. And the robbery took place about a month after his escape on January the 26th of 1979. And it involved a man who looked a lot like Larry, and this man had entered the bank and pretended to be an official with the U.S. Treasury.
1: And then once he got in, he claimed to have a bomb.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this man then left the bank with about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in cash and bonds. Now that two hundred fifty thousand dollars back in the seven, 1979 how much would that be today?
1: Yeah, roughly that's a uh, one million twenty two thousand dollars.
0: Wow, that that would uh.
1: That'd get you quite a ways in seventy nine.
0: Yes, it would. <laughs> And it was later believed that Larry had been the man behind this robbery, and despite being officially charged or convicted in the case, he was indicted years later in 1985. Right. Just one day before the statute of limitations ran out. That sucks. And some eyewitnesses had identified him with mug shots, but since he never stood trial for the crimes, it's hard to determine whether... He was actually involved.
1: Right, and, you know, they didn't really have any photos back in, I'm sure. Mm-mm. And, you know, he didn't shoot anybody. Nobody got hurt, and he just kind of walked out and blended in the crowd and disappeared. Yep. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Now, the hunt to find Larry Chisholm had eventually grown cold by the summer of 1979. But police would later learn that he had found his way to New Orleans, Louisiana. And it was that summer he began working a series of, I guess, manual labor jobs. Yeah. Such as roofing, siding, and I guess any kind of building.
1: Construction type stuff. Yeah. yeah.
0: And while living and working in New Orleans, he began rooming with a coworker he would become friendly with by the name of Jimmy Price. Jimmy Price. And eventually he started dating a local woman named Evelyn Wood, who would be one of the many women Larry, would well, I guess, fool over the next several years. Right. But Evelyn had no idea of Larry's history. No. and she didn't even know his real name. I'm sure. And she only ever knew him as a, either George or Earl McLean.
1: Does that mean he was she knew him as both, or we're not sure?
0: Probably which, not which, sure which one he was using. Probably not sure. Okay. Yeah. And she didn't even know that he had escaped. He was an escaped fugitive with an active warrant
1: from well, multiple we, states. Well, you know, one. I mean, that's not something you go, hey, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you a little bit. I have a rap sheet. Yeah.
0: And after a short period of dating, the two moved in together. And in the latter part of 1979, Larry would uh, suffer a serious injury while doing some construction work. Yeah, yeah. This this was when he was using the fake name McLean.
1: Yeah, he should have used John McLean. Yeah. Then that way, you know, all this stuff wouldn't matter. He could have got, got through it.
0: He could have walked on glass barefooted.
1: That's right. Yep.
0: Larry began working a series of manual labor jobs. And he even uh, would give blood pretty regular, to. Yeah, that's
1: why he was making money, working those jobs and giving uh, plasma donations.
0: Yeah, to get money. Right. But this one, when he was loading plywood onto a roof at a roofing site. Yeah. And he slipped and fell two stories.
1: Yeah, that'll do it.
0: Yeah, and later that day, he was admitted to a nearby hospital in New Orleans where he would spend the next several weeks recovering. Right. Something about that hospital, the records were destroyed at this hospital in 2005,
1: yeah, Hurricane Katrina took out, yeah, yeah,
0: so they really don't have any record of uh Larry being there. It's just what's been reported,
1: right, so you know, I don't really know how how does this uh get him in trouble.
0: I don't know, okay, but right at the beginning of nineteen eighty, uh, Larry and Evelyn had split up, mm. and this is when Evelyn learned about his real identity, right, and following the split, she moved in with some family members, and this where she abandoned their apartment that they had once shared. Mm-hmm.
1: And then Larry moved on to Mobile, Alabama to be back with his friend Jimmy.
0: Yeah, Jimmy Price. Yeah. And there, he was able to find some more roofing work and begin to settle into a, a routine. Yes. But it wasn't lasting too long for him. As no. As Evelyn, she decided to talk to the FBI. She started writing him out. Yeah. And she was giving them some information about Larry and where he could possibly be found. Mm-hmm. But somehow, Larry was able to... Evade the FBI.
1: He's always one step ahead. It yes, seems he was. Like, yeah, like maybe somebody's telling him stuff or something. But I don't know. He's he's pretty damn good at this.
0: Yes, he is. Now, while living in Alabama, Larry had worked a series of manual labor jobs. Like we said, and everyone yeah. knew him under his aliases. And Larry was able to obtain a number of girlfriends who would stay or live with him just short periods of time. And one of these girlfriends was a young woman named Linda Hicks. Right who Larry had moved in with during the first half of 1980. And by this point, Evelyn, his uh, previous girlfriend, the one who's going to rat him out, had turned on Larry and informed the FBI about his whereabouts. Yep,
1: it was just too late in getting him.
0: Yeah, just one step behind him. Mm -hmm. And it was one month later, after Larry's most recent escape, police were able to track down Linda Hicks. And they brought her in for an interview and asked her about their relationship, and the answers she provided were pretty insightful.
1: Yeah, but they didn't do nothing to help them catch him.
0: No. So
1: they're they're just building a, a case on him, but getting a lot of information, but no help, really.
0: Yeah. Now, Linda Hicks, she told the federal investigators that Larry had been notified ahead of time that the FBI was looking for him. Hmm. So Linda, who had a few children of her own, made the decision to drop off her kids and flee. She lived with Larry. Yes, she did. And she told her sister they would be back in a few days, and the two of them hit the road. Yep. And just barely.
1: Just kidding out before the FBI got there. He's just
0: one step ahead all the way. Mm -hmm. And a search of the couple's trailer revealed that Larry had been researching how to live as a fugitive, even including uh, stockpiling the personal details of strangers, to help create fake identities. And he was able to set up information about mail drop for supplies and other materials he could obtain as a fugitive.
1: And this dude's smart.
0: Yes, he is. And police even learned that Larry had been calling the family members of deceased children. And this was an attempt to learn about them and try to, I guess, get their identity.
1: Yeah, he's trying to find—he's fishing to find uh, some stuff where he could take uh, somebody's identity that had passed away. Yeah. So he could even tame their uh, birth certificates social security numbers and stuff.
0: Yeah, he's smart. Yeah. And it was a pretty lengthy process, but it had helped him get these fake IDs before. Yep. Now, following their disappearance, Larry and Linda had fled to Magnolia Springs, Alabama, and then sort of focused on the east toward Florida, and eventually they decided to stop in Georgia. And then heading north toward South Carolina. South Carolina. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it was during this trip they mostly slept in their car, and they would have occasionally, I guess, stop at a hotel or motel to get some sleep and take a shower.
1: Yeah, they probably didn't have a lot of money, so they had to save what they had probably for gas and stuff. So they only stayed at hotels they ever. Whenever they had, like you said, they had to get a little bit of more rest and take a shower.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were still doing um, blood donations and plasma donations, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, oh. It said that uh, they
1: had, uh, would actually do some odd jobs at service stations, but I don't know what, what that would be. I don't know. It's kind of
0: odd to me. Pumping gas or working the cash register. I don't know. So I would love it.
1: run the cash register. No. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway they I just could come across that, but I thought it was kind of
0: odd. It is, is kind of odd. Yeah. But after about a week away from her kids... Linda Hicks had decided to return home. Yeah, she's a, yeah, I got to go back to my kids. And Larry, he did accompany her for a little while, but decided not to return to Alabama.
1: Yeah, he figured we <laughs> better not go back it
0: there. was It was pretty hot there. Yeah. And when she spoke to the FBI, Linda said that she had left Larry behind at a rest stop in Meridian, Mississippi. And I'd seen or spoke to him since. Right. And this would be his last known location for about a half a decade. Yeah,
1: for the next five years, really. Yeah. Crazy.
0: Now, it wasn't until 1986 that Larry's whereabouts became known to the FBI once again. And that was when one of his pseudonyms, Gregory Moser, had relocated from West Virginia to Charlotte, North Carolina. Look at there. Look at there, North Carolina. This is when he was living in Charlotte. Larry seemed to have adopted yet another alias. And the one that would become mostly associated with was Kenneth Lamar Brookins. Right. And under this name, he applied for a driver's license on September the 29th of 1988. Right. He even listed his address as an apartment on South Tryon Street there in Charlotte.
1: Crazy, isn't
0: it? Yeah, it is crazy. It's right down the road here. Yeah, just 40 miles away from where we are. hmm Now, here, uh, Larry is believed to have been living with a woman who went by the name of Deborah Brookins, and the two of them, they claimed to be married, and according to their names, they were. Right. But this mysterious woman was just as much a mystery as Larry was. Yeah, crazy. With the police still not knowing her true identity, she had gone by the name Sherry Moser Yeah, prior right. to adopting this name.
1: Right, so they don't know if she was really Sherry Moser or if she was really Deborah Brookins or she was either or or neither.
0: Yeah. Now, while they were in Charlotte, the, the two seemed to have uh, had at least one daughter. However, they might have had up to three daughters. That's crazy. Yeah who went by the names uh, Brenda, Barbie, and Sandy. And only one of the daughters was ever confirmed by eyewitnesses.
1: That would be the oldest one.
0: Yeah, the oldest one, Brenda, who was described as looking a lot like Deborah, who might have even attended school in the Charlotte area. Right. But the existence of the two other daughters has not been ruled out. And together, these daughters were believed to have ties to Rock Hill, South Carolina. Mm Mm-hmm. Where they could have been homeschooled,
1: right? So, I think the problem was they. Nobody knows if it were three dollars or if it was just one going by different names, just like, um, like Larry and Deborah. Yeah. So it could have been, could have been three, could have been two, could have been one.
0: Crazy. That's, <laughs> yeah. This guy's good, man. He's good, man. Now, for a while, the family lived in a motel while Larry began looking for work in Charlotte, and they began to attend a local church. And the church was the Christians United for People Ministries, right. often abbreviated as CUP. The CUP. They reached out to obtain assistance with food and clothing as they tried to stand up on their own two feet. Right. Yeah. Now, the minister of the this church, his name was Tom Johnson.
1: Yeah. Camp, was that Tom Johnson?
0: Yeah. He was the head of this ministry, and he claimed that Larry and his family, in the first half of 1989, asked for his help for his family. Hmm. And Reverend Johnson became familiar with, with Larry, who knew him as Kenneth Brookings, yeah, as well as his wife, Deborah. And he remembered Deborah having some kind of eye problem. Yeah, but she
1: didn't wear glasses, but when she tried to read stuff, she always had, had it like right right on her face hmm. to make out the words. Yeah. But she, I guess she didn't have glasses, but he uh, something to make him uh, remember her. Anytime she tried to read anything, she had to hold it really, really close.
0: That's definitely a good... Detail about that. Yeah, it's a good tale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now the preacher says that this family often attended auctions and yard sales and said that the Brookings had three daughters, the oldest of which, named Brenda, like we said, had a speech problem. Mm-hmm. And he said that the Cup Ministries helped provide YMCA memberships for the three girls the following year. So,
1: according to him, there were three.
0: According to him, yes. Okay. He also recalls the family being avid campers who spent a lot of time outdoors. I bet they did. Yes, they <laughs> did. Or
1: sleeping in their car tent.
0: Now, during this period of time, the preacher also said that Larry was operating under the pseudonym Kenneth Brookings, also provided free and cheap carpet and handiwork services for the homes of the Cup Ministry attendees.
1: Yeah. Well, he had his own carpet laying equipment. Seemed to be, you know, that's how he learned, earned a
0: living. Yeah. According to him, anyway. And there was at least on one occasion the preacher had driven Larry's wife, the woman calling herself Deborah, home after service. This is when the buses weren't running, right? And he says that the woman seemed to be guarded, never letting him see where the family lived. No, he
1: he wanted her to uh, drop her off, you know, close kind by of near a, in a busy intersection in, near a parking lot where she could just go, and he wouldn't know where she went.
0: Yeah, if that makes sense. He did believe they lived in a nearby duplex, but he wasn't real sure about that. Right. Larry and his adoptive family seemed to have settled into a a quiet life in Charlotte. And he soon began to work for a home building company in Matthews. And uh, Deborah's wife had found a job closer to home at a laundromat slash bar.
1: Suds and suds.
0: Yeah. Laundromat, (laughs) bar and grill. (laughs) Yeah. Hair care and tire center. There you go. Yeah. And they eventually moved in an apartment building along Castleton Road. And they own two vehicles. Well,
1: moving on up it. A white
0: 1972 Ford. It was a fixer-upper that Larry had purchased from a coworker, as well as a 1978 Chevy van, which Deborah drove the most. Chevy van. mm mm-hmm. Now, a guy named Sheldon Lewis was one of Larry's co-workers and friends who knew him as Kenneth Brookins. Yes. And the two uh, began quite friendly during their time working together. But Sheldon never knew much about Larry. No, well, no, I'm sure
1: he didn't tell nobody much about himself. Heck, no.
0: And the other man never spoke much about his past, other than the vague statements in which he admitted to smuggling weed in from Mexico uh, with his friends just you know a few years prior. Right. Now this statement, which wasn't too far from the truth, really didn't surprise Sheldon, as Larry or Kenneth, as he was known, yeah. was a regular weed smoker who was growing plants in his. Uh, own apartment. Right. And Sheldon later told police that at least on one occasion, Larry had expressed some interest in returning to Mexico at some point. I just wonder if he was uh, planning on smuggling some more drugs.
1: Probably just trying to get the hell out of here. Could have. Yeah, could live in Mexico.
0: Yeah, could have. And Sheldon has sold Larry the white 1972 Ford under the assumption that he would fix it up and resell it in the future. Mm Mm-hmm but it was just they said it was just barely running at the time yeah barely so sheldon ended up giving larry rides to work most days and he claimed that all their interactions that he had with larry and his family he only saw one daughter yeah
1: brenda the oldest one
0: mm-hmm, who he claims larry helped out with homework almost every day mm-hmm. being a good dad yeah doing the dad thing dad thing yep now, despite being one of Larry's closest friends in the Charlotte area, Sheldon wasn't able to provide much in the way of information about the family. Nope. He only ever knew Larry and his wife as Kenneth and Deborah Brookings. Right. And was un- unable to confirm that he had more than one daughter. That's wild, man. Yeah, because some places he, they say he's got three, and other people say he has just one.
1: Right, and I wonder if the preacher just said that. I wonder if he gave them three memberships to the wife, but they were seen the never seen the kids.
0: Could very well have. Something like that. Additionally, he knew very little about Deborah. This was Larry's supposed wife. Yeah. Other than stating that she had brown hair. And had some kind of problem with her eyes. Yeah, he noticed that too, but yeah. didn't wear glasses. Right. And had some kind of familial connection to the state of Florida. That was whether, you know, either her mother or either her father or stepfather lived. Right. But it still wasn't it wasn't known.
1: Yeah, it wasn't quite clear without.
0: Now this life as Kenneth and Deborah Brookins seemed to fit Larry pretty well. Yeah. They been living there in Charlotte.
1: Well, they was doing pretty good. I mean, they had their own place, a couple cars. Mm-hmm. Both of them were just having jobs. Three one kids.
0: Yep, but on January the 3rd of 1990, it was pretty much flipped. Yep. Drunk him on his head here. Yeah, that Wednesday evening, the TV show Unsolved Mysteries, they aired a segment about Larry mm. and his escape from prison over a decade earlier, which was in December of 1978. Yep. Now, Larry, who was living as Kenneth Brookings, actually saw the episode as it aired. Wow. And seemed to realize that um, the life he had built was about to come crashing around him.
1: Yep. Not good.
0: Now, in an effort to, I guess, keep his freedom, Larry fled with his family. Yep. Mm -hmm. And together, they left behind almost everything. Yeah. Except for the clothing on their back.
1: Yep. They
0: They left furniture, food.
1: Even his upcoming paycheck.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, Larry never collected. No, okay. and they left town in the 1978 van, and they never looked back there. Right. Now, right before leaving town, Larry had called a coworker of his and told him that that he had just seen his own story on Unsolved Mysteries, right. and he said that he was leaving, but we would be back in about three months to pick up his final paycheck in the meantime, his coworker could have everything left behind in the home or the workplace. So, yeah,
1: he just told him, you could have everything, I'm leaving, I'm yeah, out of here. we're checking out. Yeah. But he never did go back and get that check. No. So he never returned back. And uh, he never contacted anybody, any of his friends, even that guy again. Mm-mm. That never just disappeared.
0: And in a single night, Larry and his entire family had just disappeared. Yep, poof. Now, investigators would be able to pick up Larry's trail one last time in atlanta georgia and he had been in atlanta in december of 1990 this was about 11 months after his getaway from charlotte Mm -hmm. and police knew this because he had sold his van to another roofer in atlanta who bought the van for his work but unfortunately uh he would not register this vehicle for close to a year
1: which is good for larry
0: yes very good so it wasn't until 1991 that the police learned about this yeah
1: it was almost two years after leaving charlotte yeah but he could be anywhere right long head start
0: but this last mm-hmm. stop in atlanta on december 4th of 1990 would be larry chisholm's last known location and in the decades since he has become like a ghost mm-hmm. and rightfully been one of america's most wanted men today right
1: you know, basically, you know, during all these escapes and stuff, you know, he had a lot of help, you know, and from the inside and the outside, especially from his buddy, uh, William Henson, you know. And
0: This was from Memphis State University.
1: Yeah. And he, yeah. Was, he was the one who basically put the guns in the bowl arena. And they finally figured out who that was. And they had him. And actually, he was on the run for nearly 13 years himself. So he was doing pretty good himself, you know, being on the run and hiding. But eventually, he turned himself into the FBI. Yeah. So, they got him.
0: Now, Larry Porter Chisholm is still wanted by the federal officials. Oh, yeah. With uh, numerous outstanding warrants existing for his arrest. And his trail became cold just days after his story was featured on Unsolved Mysteries. Crazy, man. And other than a brief record of him being in Atlanta. That's it. That's it, man. He He's like a like we said, a ghost. But he's been in the wind for almost 40 years. Yeah. But Larry's case was forwarded to the U.S. Marshall Service in 1993, and they've been conducting extensive investigations into Larry's whereabouts and his past. They don't have any clue now. I mean, it's just...
1: No idea. Mm-mm. You know, and Larry's still believed to be alive and well today. You know, he's, they kind of know him as a, the chameleon. Yeah. You know, just a mundane, normal-looking guy. He's about 5'10 and weighs about 160 pounds, less they know him. With the brown eyes and black hair, which would probably be a little grayed by now, mm-hmm. if he's
0: still living. But Larry is described as a guy who doesn't talk much, but can blend in most conversations. Oh, yeah. So he's a smart guy as well, like we say. Very smart. Now, if any of this information sounds familiar to anybody, you can call the United States Marshal Service and any tips can be called in to one eight seven seven nine two six eight three three two. 926 8332 Right. And you can even submit tips online at the following web address. is wwwusmarshalsgovernor slash tips. Slash tips. And we'll put that phone number and web address in the show notes. Yes. But to this day, Larry Chisholm has been the longest-lasting fugitive on the United States Marshal Service Most Wanted list.
1: The hide-and-seek world champion for 40 years.
0: He is believed to be alive and well today and would be in his early 70s. Crazy.
1: Yeah, I believe if I seen him now, I don't even know if I'd call. I
0: don't know know if I'd recognize him or not. Well, no. It
1: ain't like he killed anybody. through, Through all this stuff, nobody got killed. No. I mean, he did shoot a cop, I guess. but Yeah. and he got shot back, so it should be even.
0: Running a drug ring.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah. But that's the story of Larry Porter Chisholm.
1: If that's what you want to
0: call him. Yeah. great he, he could be known by any of those aliases. All right, Dale, we're going to get out of here, dude. All right, man, let's roll. We want everyone to be safe. Please be careful and always be aware of your surroundings.
1: Because the next episode could be about you.
0: This is the Crackhouse Chronicles. Chronicles.